Welcome to the Missing Chapter Podcast, where you will hear some of the least known, obscure, and entertaining stories the history textbooks left out. Starring Phil Horander and Phil Schaff. One of the worst examples of the sins of human nature in history is, of course, what the Nazis did to the Jews in the Holocaust. And I'm sure we've all heard of some unbelievably heroic and courageous stories of people from all walks of life liberating Jews during this horrific nightmare in world history. Stories of undercover rescues and secret underground paths to freedom, or neighbors keeping their Jewish friends silent while Nazis go door to door. You may even be thinking of the 1993 film Schindler's List, and for today's episode, well, you're not that far off, because there is a man nicknamed the Polish Schindler, who saved countless Jewish lives by using a weapon that I don't think anyone would ever guess or expect, a virus. Oh, you heard me right, a brilliant-minded man used a virus to scare off the Germans from their Jewish targets, and in doing so, saved thousands of lives. Find out who this man is and how he was able to use a virus to fight off the Nazis in this episode of The Missing Chapter. Hi again, everybody. Welcome back to the Missing Chapter Podcast. I'm Phil Hornder here with Phil Schaff. We are drinking a really nice caramel macchiato provided by New England Coffee. And we are getting ready to talk a little bit more World War II, Phil. That was my episode last week, uh, Lost at Sea. A little bit different of a take on World War II. And that's kind of the direction you're headed this week as well. Yeah, absolutely. So, I, I by the way, the Lost at Sea episode, one of my favorites, not just from some season two, as a whole, one well, of my favorites. Um, Appreciate it. A lot of ebbs and flows, a lot of ups and downs. I just, it, it was a phenomenal story. And ironically, the story I have for you today is very much uh, same time period, 1942. Is that, mm-hmm. is that when mm-hmm. Lost at Sea took place? All right. So here we are um, around the town. Let's see if I can pronounce this right. Roswado, uh, 150 miles south of Warsaw. And we're talking uh, July of 1942. Okay. 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 So Roswado ghetto um, was pretty much liquidated by the Germans. Jews were killed in the main square there. There were others murdered in the surrounding forests. Um, some were, of course, were taken for forced labor with a concentration camp actually set up directly in town. So pretty awful times, pretty drastic measures um, need to take place in order for, for some of these wrongs to be righted here. So a doctor by the name of Eugene Lazowski, that's the focus of our story here today. Okay, He's the one that kind of springs to the rescue. He was 26 years old when Germany invaded Poland, okay? Uh, he served as a second lieutenant in his country's army, was actually captured by the Nazis, believe it or not. Uh, this Warsaw-educated doctor, though, was imprisoned in a POW camp, somehow figured out a way to escape. And the details of the escape are very, very difficult to find. So uh, maybe we could do a follow-up on this, but very hard to figure out how he escaped. But we do know that he did escape. So after his escape, Lazowski moved to Roswodo to work for the Polish Red Cross. By that time, though, Jewish ghettos had been set up throughout Poland, including a ghetto for 400 Jews that was essentially in Lazowski's backyard, mm-hmm. uh, where he and his wife and his baby daughter lived. So he's not only motivated to help other people escape, there was 
probably a little bit of like a revenge element here as well. But I think that the key to this, it's not vengeance in the way we would typically assume. He was going to get even, but not by violence, mm -hmm. by intellect. And this is where, as I was doing some research on the story, where this took a very, I would say, ingenious twist. So he comes up with this plan, okay? Um, his master plan is to infect, here we go, 12 villages with a fake epidemic. Oh, wow, interesting. So instead of using weaponry, uh, instead of using vengeance on a violence scale, he's going to create a fake epidemic. So he's taking 12 villages with their incredibly deadly and infectious disease, typhus. Okay. So you're probably wondering why would anyone do that uh, intentionally? So let me explain. The Nazis, of course, very demonic, as hardened as they were, oddly, they were very incredibly uh, health conscious. Mm germaphobes, if you will. And one of the fears during wartime, um, or any sort of close interactions at, uh, for that matter, with other groups, of course, is disease. So the Nazis were afraid of, of typhus, which is highly infectious. Typhus was one of the ones that, that they feared the most, uh, because it really it decimated regiments in times of war. And Dr. Eugene Lazowski here knew that, probably because of his time uh, in a camp. So exposure to exposure to prisoners in concentration camps, the Germans, right. the Nazis were afraid that that would spread to their military yes. and essentially impact the battlefield. Bingo. You okay. got it. Okay. So he's going to play off that paranoia, okay. which I think is brilliant. It is brilliant. So in 1942, an estimated 750 Poles died of typhus, ready, each day. Wow. So this is a, this is an epidemic on, you know, global proportions here. So any Jew who tested positive for typhus, uh, excuse me, typhus was shot on the spot. And their homes were set on fire. So they really had no leeway for um, for any of that spreading. Mm -hmm. Poles who tested positive were, were sent to quarantine. Uh, sounds familiar in this day and age. He knew that Nazis would avoid contact with anyone who tested positive for typhus. Uh, because they, of course, didn't want to risk infection. He also knew that because they refused to come in close contact with anyone who was positive, there would be no way for them to be deported. So he's going to play off of that as well. The Nazis knew how deadly the disease was, so instead of throwing them into a camp, they would quarantine them and leave them for dead. Just essentially leave villages. Leave villages and just say, hey, listen, let's not even come here. Because uh, if they knew there was someone testing positive for, in a house, they right. would put them in a house and just burn, burn them to death. Right. But for the most part, if there was a widespread infection, they would just quarantine an entire village and leave them. Not give any help. Knowing that the typhus would would run its course and and kill them in the in exactly, the long. Okay. Exactly. Okay. Kill them. And, and it, honestly, it was it was more of a um, a slow agonizing death, which they mm -hmm. wanted the Jews to experience. Uh, okay. On top of that, so knowing that you'd actually have a better chance of being in contact with the disease in some cases than you would be uh, in contact with the Nazis. So if you if you're thinking about like. How do I survive this? Mm -hmm. You know, at the same time, we have typhus running its course. At the same time, of course, we have Nazis uh, coming into our homes and obviously taking us into concentra concentration camps or killing entire villages. What are my chances? The chances are actually maybe with the with typhus than you are with the Nazis. Okay, so Well, that would make sense. That. I mean, I'd rather take my chances with the typhus than with a concentration camp. And, and I'm thinking, Phil... If I'm a, a regular run-of-the-mill, everyday German soldier, yes, I'm following directions, but I'm also, there's a, an element of self-preservation here. Yes. And that if I realize this is an entire village we've come upon uh, that seems to be inflicted with typhus, 
I'm moving on. Exactly. I, I don't want to get sick and I'm not even going to bother with this, with this village. And see, that's the thing. So, so as a doctor, Dr. Lazowski is saying to himself, if there was only a way to test positive, mm -hmm. but not actually succumb to the disease itself. So here comes the light bulb moment. Okay. Around the time of the ghetto's mass execution, a medical school friend of Lazowski by the name of, um, let's see if I can get this name right, Stanislaw Matulowicz, okay, uh, stumbled upon a way to make someone test positive for typhus, but without actually having the after effects of the disease. Huge breakthrough. So they really took a dead epidemic typhus, basically a vaccine, was injected into the patient who would then test positive. Okay. Okay. So Lazowski and Matulowicz uh, immediately realized they were onto something. The plague hadn't been in Germany for about 25 years, so soldiers had no natural immunity. So once they come into this area, you know, they're going to be incredibly mm -hmm. fearful. They're going to have tons of paranoia, but that also fueled Lazowski to act. He said, now's the time. So he realizes now um, that their fear is going to cause almost certain distance between them and the Jews, and more confirmation of that assumption kept coming forward. For example, uh, there's a huge wave of anti-Jewish propaganda put out by Germany that portrayed Jews as carriers of typhus-infected lice. So at that point, he's like, listen, this propaganda piece is actually playing into right. my idea and my, my master plan. Um, but here's the quandary that he's mulling over. Do I tell the patients as he's injecting them that this is a fake virus and then risk that word getting out that he's, he's doing this um, to try to purposely trick the Germans and the Nazis? Or do I lie and tell them it's just therapy to help help them ward off the virus, thus preventing anyone like, you know, leaking that kind of information right. of who's behind it right. all? I, I would almost assume maybe the latter, if, he, I, if I were to guess. He chose the latter. Okay. You're absolutely right. So he, instead of risking word getting out, mm -hmm. he doesn't tell his patients. Uh, the people in the surrounding area came up with a system here, um, which I think is, once again, pretty brilliant. If a Jewish neighbor needed some sort of medical attention, whether it was typhus or not, they would actually hang a rag on Lazowski's fence. Uh, and then Lazowski would make a house call to their residents, but under the cover of darkness. Okay, so it's all obviously secretive, all underground. During the first two months of this plan, though, Lazowski and Matulowicz injected hundreds of villagers with their fake typhus, telling these patients it was, quote, protein stimulation therapy for their okay. illness. Okay, some patients were sent to doctors in other villages after receiving the injection where they, of course, here we go, test positive for typhus. They wouldn't feel the after effects. The doctor would eventually convince the Nazi supervisors, hey, look, there's an outbreak here. It's taking place in this village and this village, the ones where he knew the Jews were hiding. Mm -hmm. Okay. He was careful to mimic the pace of an actual outbreak too, uh, or else obviously his plan would be uncovered. In response to his recommendations, the Nazis began quarantining areas with you know, the suspected typhus cases, including those with Jewish inhabitants. So Lazowski and Matulowicz brilliantly, and I know I've said that a lot, but this really is, brilliantly thought of the areas where they knew the Jewish populations were, were heaviest, and they started injecting patients in those areas. So those areas where the most Jews were hiding would be therefore quarantined. I, this is brilliant. And, and like you said at the very beginning, it's, it's amazing to me. He's saving people you know, through the skills that he was blessed to have as a doctor, he's, yes. it's not the violent, you know, way that we, we might assume a resistance would look like. Right. But the resistance is what's his skill set. Yes. Yeah. And we're going to say probably more people than we ever would have 
the other way. Exactly. Exactly. It's, it's so you're talking pretty 12, remarkable. Yeah. It is. You're talking 12 villages. And he's young. He's very, yeah, he's young at this point. Young. Yeah. Um, and he, he's creating basically safe havens for Jews through all these quarantines. But he was quoted later on. Um, there's always this sense, obviously, of paranoia for the Germans, but there's paranoia on himself, obviously. Mm -hmm. You know, he's trying to be secretive. There's, there's supervisors that are, you know, looking over his shoulder and everything he does. Later on, he did admit during this tense time period that he carried a cyanide pill with him just in case. Uh, but you know what, too, is, is he's, Phil, he's at least giving them a chance. Right. If they had been taken from the ghettos to the camps, I mean, their percentages, I'm sure, of, of facing almost certain death would have been pretty high. Yes. At least now those percentage numbers go up. Go up. The percentage numbers are, are increasing. And you got to remember, if there's anything out of the norm... Mm -hmm. Uh, of a of a maybe an atypical outbreak, the Germans are going to know and they're going to ring the, the bells, right. right? So the alarms are going to are, are going to sound. So he had to make sure um, that these cases are are going at a at a certain rate, very similar to a, a basic epidemic, which is amazing. He's taking a bunch of things into consideration. Hundred percent. Yeah. So the prevalence of of typhus cases confirmed by German labs was obviously pretty alarming and mm -hmm. purposely just like he had planned. So after two months, the Germans instituted a quarantine zone around Roswell and 12 surrounding villages effectively keeping, ready, 8,000 inhabitants safe from arrest or deportation. So his plan was successful, but that didn't come without some close calls. And that's where we'll pick up after the break. Hi, everybody, and welcome back from the break. Phil, we got discussing really how reminiscent this is of a, of a Schindler's List and yeah. an Oscar Schindler. And really, not only the creativity that people are displaying in order to save lives, but really putting themselves at risk and the, the willingness to do things that make themselves a target um, if they're ever found out. Yeah, and that was obviously his fear constantly, even in, uh, until full liberation. Um, but yeah, this this plan he he had in his mind and he carried it out. I think pretty uh, dramatically, obviously, but also really well thought out because mm -hmm. he was really thinking of every chance that um, the Nazis or or their allies would have uh, to try to catch someone like him. Right. And, and if you think about him implementing this plan, yeah, he didn't have a lot of time either. No. You know, things were happening pretty, pretty quickly in Eastern Europe during this time period, especially with the concentration camps and the war. But, you know, he's implementing a pretty um, developed plan in a short period of time. Yeah. And he comes up with some more ideas to try to trick them, too. And you got to remember, you got to give credit to his uh, to his cohort there who mm -hmm. ended up coming up with with essentially what would be considered a vaccine, you right. know, the dead virus. Uh, and that wouldn't have happened if, if he didn't have that close connection with with him. And I think that there's there's also something I want to mention that I didn't mention before break that we would talk about. And it's it's this just constant fear uh, and a close call moment. So let's talk about that. Um, his entire operation ended in 1943. So, as you said, this is this doesn't take a long time. You're absolutely right. Someone in the Gestapo noticed something that really didn't add up. And this was one of his constant fears that I, I noticed in some documentation. There was a very low number of deaths in the region relative to the number of of infections. So he he had kind of anticipated that being being found out. So this is this is great. The Gestapo ended up sending in an investigative committee 
to check up on the physicians hmm. to find out what was going on. So here's where we go back to that, that whole Schindler-like tactic. Lazowski used uh, those kind of tactics, to, excuse me, tactics to fend off um, the Gestapo by doing the following. Ready? Vodka, kielbasa, music. Keep them flowing. Keep them on a revolving platter during their visit. Keep them happy and well-fed. It kind of brings me back to, uh, you know, like uh, the bread and circuses of the Roman Empire. Keep right. them happy. Keep them fed. Keep them occupied. That's great. So some senior members of the commission, while they're enjoying their rendezvous, uh, essentially, sent some younger doctors to collect blood samples from the sick-looking patients, all of whom, who had, remember, had the bacterial strain that mimicked the uh, typhus, but wasn't really the mm-hmm. actual typhus, okay? So the German doctors didn't really look for any symptoms among the patients because they were just terrified of contracting the disease, obviously. Uh, however, toward the end of the occupation of Poland, a German soldier came up to Lazowski secretly and tipped off him, tipped him off that, that he was about to be arrested by the Gestapo. So according to the soldier, Lazowski had been spotted treating members of the home army. Now, for those of you that are at home don't recall what the home army is. It's one of the largest armed resistance movements in Europe uh, during World War II. And they told him, hey, listen, the Nazis are coming after you. With the Russian army across the river from town, the Nazis were taking their final revenge on the people of Poland. So Lazowski, somehow Lazowski had been spared so far, but he's like, you know what? I, I think they're getting a little too close. We don't want to press our luck. So the Lazowski family as a whole fled town just before the Gestapo arrived. So thank God. About 13 years, though, Lazowski lived in constant fear that his plan would have been uncovered, uh, of course, leading to retaliation from the Soviet authorities in Poland. But in 1958, Lazowski moves to Chicago with his wife and daughter. And after a decade of studies, he became uh, a professor of pediatrics at the University of Illinois uh, and continued to practice medicine. But he never told anyone about a secret wartime mission until full liberation, which I just think he, he has that secret in him and he probably just doesn't want, doesn't want to tell anybody, obviously, for fear of what could happen. But, um, you know, once full liberation took place, then he was, I, I'm sure people had a lot of questions once he uh, opened up his story. And apparently, how about this? His parents held on to some secrets, too, as Eugene would learn that uh, his parents actually had hidden two Jewish families in their own home, wow. the home that he grew up in. He had no idea. So they even kept secrets from him. But uh, he lived out a, a fantastic life. He, he um, helped a lot of people, obviously, including the years after uh, full liberation. He uh, was a humbled 92-year-old when he died in 2006. Um, and could at last be in the ease of the, the country he fought for. He, he said, uh, he was quoted in saying, I was not able to fight with a gun or a sword, he told people, but I found a way to scare the Germans. Thank you for joining us, and until next time, I'm Phil Horander, and I'm Phil Schaff. Another chapter has been added to the history textbooks.